<clears throat> so this is uh, meant to be Dhamma encouragement, <laughs> hopefully. It'll at least keep you going for the rest of the night. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit, just share some of my, uh, it sounds silly, but my love of awareness, really. I would just wish that I could um, transmit to you all how um, simple, accessible, and uh, completely life-transforming it can be as we begin to and strengthen our trust in, our confidence in, uh, just surrendering into awareness of whatever's happening now. And at the same time, as it's life-transforming, nothing really changes. And that's the paradox. You know, we are so... um, Well, our culture and the way most of us are brought up, we're inured to... We do something for a result. And if we want things to get better, we need to change things. And why would we do anything if everything was going to stay the same, right? You didn't come here to, to struggle for nine or ten days and then leave in exactly the same and have everything be exactly the same as it was before, did you? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Good. Then <laughs> you can just put down expectation. But mostly we don't work that way. And of course it isn't. Everything changes and everything stays the same. And that's really hard to explain. Also, for me, talking about awareness is also weird because just the use of language, awareness as a noun, and I refer to it as it, sounds like a thing. And so if there's a thing, then it should be existent in time and space and something that we look for and we can get and hold on to and have and be in relationship to. And none of those things are accurate. The closest to be was that awareness is uh, an activity that arises in the mind in a moment, as is all mental activity arises in a moment, passes in a moment. But still, for the use of language and for communication, Awareness is a noun, how to recognize, how to feel it in our experience, how to trust what pure awareness is. I try to just, I'm just sharing some thoughts. I'm in no way giving you like, this is it, the big overview, I know it all. I'm just trying to share some of my experience and love of this. Because if when I think about what's my motivation, I can't really speak for Steve or Franz, but I uh, am assuming they're similar. That my motivation to uh, keep coming here and leading these retreats and trying to share with all of you is really just, um, it's a sense of loving the possibility that we can, for moments, I only know it for moments, that we can be so completely fully present and alive to whatever's arising in this moment without uh, holding back, without needing it to be different, and without having to make it be all about me. That one is so exhausting, so limiting, so much struggle. And when just whatever's happening's arising. And there's the quality of mind of awareness that's simply fully here without barriers, just knowing, oh, it's like this. And no stories, no complications. It doesn't actually sound like really such a great thing. just Just to be with hearing, just to see pretty sunset, wasn't it? Pretty sunset, it's like this. Feeling happy with the sunset, it's like this. Sun's gone, what next? What next is like this. That's what I mean, nothing changes. But just that, just this, just this. To have moments of a life, it's just the regular moments of a regular life. And to be so just for those moments, present, without all the complication, without all the stories, 
that's the beginning of a taste of freedom. And as if it may not be what we thought we were looking for, was somewhere else in bliss, in pure consciousness. Let's get rid of these bodies. Let's stop having any kind of displeasure or unpleasant experience. Let's just, I kept waiting for years and years. When would I float away on this cloud of compassion and beauty and my personality would really change once and for all? I'm still waiting. But without quite so much expectation that it's going to happen. But you know what really has happened? Often, not always, because nothing's steady state. I'm a lot more... It's the wrong phrasing. This personality, I'm just much more at ease with it. Because I realize this is it, folks. This body, this mind, this personality. That's, that's what's arising from time to time, from moment to moment. Just being at ease with things as they are, but really awake with things as they are. Not the being at ease because we're kind of like it's over there, a little bit deluded. I'm at ease with that because I don't really have to engage. I also am familiar with that being at ease. We call that delusion. And there's times it's quite comfortable. I see my mind would really like to just, let's just check out. Sleep is a good one, unless you're having horrible nightmares. Let's just check out for a little while. Let's just have a little bit of rest. Is it Manindraji who used to say that uh, sleep is the worldling's nibbana? <laughs> it's like the closest we're going to get. <laughs> Let's just check out and <laughs> cruise. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. So, and another reason awareness is funny to talk about the way we've been um, giving instructions today or in the groups or in the Q&A or when we're talking, we say, oh, I was so angry. I mean, I'm making this up. No one actually said this to me. We go, oh, great, great. Did you notice anger? Anger's like this. Good, good practice. That's awareness. <laughs> huh? <laughs> What's so great about that? That sounds uh, pretty passive. Whatever happened, you say, oh, awareness can just notice it's like this. No need to change it. No need to fix it. Freedom is just being totally here with it. And our normal kind of let's get things done, let's fix it mind here. That sounds more like being a doormat to me. I don't really get the freedom in that. But it's actually the steadiness of pure awareness has the power to completely transform our understanding of ourselves and the world. Not power, that's what happens. This is from the Dhammapada, one of the little teachings of the Buddha, and a kind of a poetic translation from um, Ajahn Menindo. Just two stanzas about awareness. He's, he's translating it as awareness. Often you'll see it translated as heedfulness. He's translating this as awareness. Appreciative awareness leads to life. Heedless avoidance is the path to death. Those who are aware are fully alive, while those who are heedless are as if already dead. Remember, we're only talking about a moment at a time, not you're aware and then it's forever, or you're heedless and you're doomed. It's a moment at a time. And the second stanza, The wise, being fully alive, in other words, being fully aware, rejoice in appreciative awareness and abide delighting in this capacity. That would be, if I could say what would be my motivation, if somehow we could all learn to trust, to uh, rejoice in appreciative awareness and to abide delighting in that capacity. It's sort of as if we're talking about a shift of refuge. Remember we took the refuges last night and this morning? We talked refuge in Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha. And in Buddha, it's really like refuge in, in the capacity for the awakened, the aware heart and mind. The Dhamma, the capacity, the refuge in things as they are things as they have come to be in this moment 
as the place is the wrong word, but where freedom, where freedom and ease of heart and mind can only arise, when we completely take refuge, when we rejoice in that awareness. It's a shift of refuge where instead of looking to the particulars of the experience, to give us happiness or freedom or ease. The particulars of experience will never last for more than a short fraction, even if it seems to last for a year. And what lasts for a year? What really lasts for a year? What lasts for two minutes if we're looking? But even when external situations seem good and last for a year, that's an eon. Nothing, nothing really lasts in terms of looking to experience for ease, for freedom, for comfort. But that's where we tend to go for refuge, or our moods, or our thoughts, or external experience. When we start to shift our trust, when we start to shift our refuge to this delight in awareness, it really, and and I know this for myself, it really can be that something's coming up in your mind that's unpleasant, one of your familiar unpleasant habits, you feel the effect in your body, it's unpleasant, and there's this delight in the awareness of it that really is no problem. What's happening is no problem. The next minute, okay, we forget the delight in awareness and we're back in the old habits, the habit of inertia, the habit of, oh, I don't like this, it should be like this, I'm going to fix myself right now. Oh, wow. Wanting to fix myself is like this. I know I keep saying that, and I know it might sound kind of (laughs) lame. Oh yeah, wanting to fix myself is like this. But in the moment that you really are imbibing, really touching with mind and heart, that quality of wholehearted presence, awareness that's not colored by greed or aversion or me, 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 that allows us to recognize accurately That's where wisdom arises. Wisdom arises by itself when there's accurate recognition, which is also a huge relief. We don't have to create it. We can't. I mean, we don't even know. We're trying to make something up wisdom. We don't know. It arises by itself when there's accurate recognition, when there's pure awareness. And in that wisdom, that's where freedom comes. Freedom from the suffering of reactivity you still might have that same stupid personality pattern. But you know what? It's okay. You might even see a moment when you love it. Oh, yeah, look at that. Isn't that so? Whatever word you want to substitute there. That's just how it is. Causes and conditions coming together. The, the beginning of the way the Buddha talked about the path of awakening, it begins and ends as a path, more like a circle. What he talks about is wise view, right view, or right understanding. In our normal way, we think of understanding, right understanding, as acquiring a body of knowledge, you know, a set of ideas. And I'm here, you know, talking, blabbing away, giving you ideas, and In our normal way, we think right view is, okay, I see the ideas I have that are wrong. And we have plenty of ideas that lead us into trouble. You know, there's plenty of ideas we have working in the back of the mind that aren't really so helpful. Part of our awareness practice will help us see those. That's true. But right view isn't about, let me get another set of knowledge and then hold on to that for dear life. It's not about that at all. Right view, actually, is... It's what I love about this translation anyway and about the way the Buddha seemed to teach. It's very literal. Right view, wise view, means actually the way we are perceiving and understanding the world is accurate. Not right as that this is good and this is bad or this you know, meets the certain standards and this is like some stupid standards. Not that. It's like yata bhuta is a word in Pali which I was using it in English before, it's part, as you most often see it in the Buddhist teaching, as part of a, 
very profound insight. Yata, Bhuta, Jnana, Dasana is often translated as knowledge and vision of things as they are, which is very uh, close to awakening, to Nibbana. That's all knowledge and vision of things as they are. Not, let's get the heck away from things as they are and get to somewhere where we can wake up. What wakes us up is recognizing things as they are. As they are right now, no matter how they are. So yata bhuta just is the part of that phrase that means, it's usually translated as things as they are, but I was um, using that phrase uh, a couple months ago or, I don't know, sometime. And a couple of friends who are much more scholars of the Pali language, which is what the original teachings we have, and that's what language that is, yata bhuta, much more scholars than I, which isn't hard, um, came to me and said, actually, the, um, the grammatical construction of that phrase, yata bhuta, it would be more accurately translated, and it's actually much better, is things as they have come to be. And that's really how it is. Things as they have come to be in this moment. Because what that brings in is the fact of the conditionality, the contingency, the fact that things as they have come to be in this moment is the effect of innumerable causes coming together, innumerable situations of physical and mentality, of your own particular experiences, of others, of the past, of coming together in this moment, can't be separated. You can't really ever figure out all the causes and conditions for this moment. And because of how it's coming together in this moment, in this moment, it can't be any different, can it? I mean, it's already here. How can it be different? It's what it is. How much of our time do we unconsciously spend or habitually spend in our mind either trying to pretend this moment isn't the way it is? Have you ever noticed, ever noticed yourself doing that? And then pretending that we don't notice that we're doing that. This is denial. I mean, I really am in awe of the power of denial in the mind. It's amazing, actually. Because then when we break through the denial, you see, But I knew I was doing that for 10 years. I knew I was doing that and somehow pretended I didn't know. It's amazing. So have you ever known that either pretending this moment isn't the way it is or trying to make it be different or being afraid, projecting this moment infinitely, I think Steve talked about, infinitely into the future, it's always going to be this way. There is no way it's going to even be this way next moment. Impossible. The conditions are already different for next moment than this moment. Even talking about next moment is just an idea, right? So yata bhuta, things as they have come to be in this moment, gives the living, moving, um, unstable, vibrant, alive nature of life, always, in every moment. And what frees our heart and mind from confusion, from suffering, is simply wise view, wise understanding, which is the recognition of the the reality of how things actually are in this moment. Not every single cause and effect, but just the reality of our mind, of our body in this moment. Free from the confusion, the overlay that's put on top when we don't realize that the awareness that's greeting this moment, first, if there's any awareness at all, we even know we're in this moment, that's good. But the awareness, if it's colored by wanting it to be different or hating how it is or thinking it should be like this and trying to nudge it, all of that gets in the way of actually recognizing how things are. So right view, where what frees our heart and mind. It's it's so elegant, actually. Uh, I really love it. It's not that we have to somehow get rid of the greed, the hatred, the confusion, that there's this huge mountain inside of you, although it may feel like it. 
a huge, you know, mountain we can chip away one little kind of chip every hundred years, you know, and maybe sometime in some future life we'll have managed to dig out all the greed for a second. It's not like that, right? It's fresh every moment. And what's so elegant about the freedom of heart and mind is that when there's an accurate recognition of this vibrant, changing, unstable nature of cause and effect of all life, in that moment of clear recognition of pure awareness that the wisdom arises of, oh, this is how things are. And in seeing how things are, greed doesn't arise because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. One, trying to hold on to something that's already going is so clearly suffering. You don't even have to think about it. Like that sunset. Did you sit there and, oh, just let it stay still for two more minutes so I can enjoy it. I mean, maybe you did. I don't know. Our mind is capable of anything. But pretty much we know the sun's going to go down. Pretty much we know that's going to happen. And we can appreciate the beauty or how it's making us feel. Hopefully you could let it go. If you couldn't let it go, that's a great place to say, oh, that's the suffering, holding on to something that's already not here anymore. Or if you start thinking, okay, 23 hours, 55 minutes, or maybe it's only 54, I can watch the sunset tomorrow. You know? It's so clear that's nuts, right? Hopefully. <laughs> it's so clear that's suffering anyway. We let it go. They're still enjoying the beauty. That doesn't have to be done away with. But it's so clear it's gone. So greed doesn't arise. Hatred doesn't arise. Me being able to change that, needing to change it, doesn't arise. Seeing, beauty, appreciation, the next thing arises. You hear the bell. It's the next arising thing. Oh, time to go sit, a thought. You turn and walk in here. You think, oh, damn, I don't want to do that. You notice aversion. You know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yata, bhuta, things as they have come to be in this moment. That's what's so elegant, that the clear, deep seeing automatically frees the mind. The wisdom comes from that. Okay, so what makes clear seeing? What's the conditions that allows for this wisdom to arise? Guess what? Right. Awareness, mindfulness, this first the willingness, just this sense of being fully present just for this moment. In this moment, it feels like nothing, right? You know, here she goes again, be present with whatever. Because we're focusing on the thing, on the object, the mind state, the sound, the idea, whatever. Just start to notice, okay, awareness is like this. Awareness is like this. The steadiness, the continuity. I think Steve was talking about that last night. That's really key. It's not just one moment and then we just go off in our habits, our refuge in you know, delusion or wanting or making up stories or whatever as a way to pacify ourselves. Or more likely, we make up stories as a way to get ourselves really upset. Have you noticed that? Things are fine. You don't feel so good, maybe. Or something's going on you don't like. But it's okay. But the mind spins out, and in the future, it's going to be in all day, and 10 days, and what am I going to do, and oh my God, and we're all upset. You know, what's happening now? Eh, actually, sensations, thoughts, it's okay. I forgot where I started that sentence. <laughs> it's gone, gone. Oh, the continuity, yes. The continuity is really the key. Not that we can be continuous. We're going to forget all the time because the habit is to forget. But remember, we we talked this morning and last night, the remembering, as soon as you think, oh, yeah, I was spaced out, you're already not. That's what's so easy. That's what we want to learn to trust, to actually delight in. For a lot of us, not all of you, I'm sure, but a lot of us are so... Our mind has such a habit of self-judgment or self-blame. Have any of you noticed that? 
so that when you know you're walking or you're sitting here or whatever, and you're just suddenly, oh wow, I, I didn't know what was going on for however long. How often is that followed by the thought, well, you're supposed to be continuous now. Come on, what's the matter with you know some kind of judgment, and then that makes that makes the whole thing so much more heavy, doesn't it? If you believe that, I should have been more mindful. And now I've been here a whole day, and look how much I'm spaced out, and this is exhausting. They said it was easy. They said it was relaxing. I don't think it's relaxing. I think it's heavy. I think it's exhausting. Be mindful all day, and, you know, and you're projecting already, right? What's that? Oh, aversion's happening now. When we're not fighting with it, it's just this. Actually, as I said, that becomes delightful. I don't mean aversion's delightful, aversion's aversion, it's not delightful. But the awareness of it can be delightful. And it's just that simple. It's learning to trust that that's really enough. We don't need to add that extra. I should do, how can I do it better? How can I have better mind states? How can I... When you notice that, okay, you just that's the next thing to be aware of. But even that, when we see we don't have to be in contention with anything, with anything in our experience. When you start to really believe that about just and this about meditation, both for new people and old people. I know for me, you know, I've been practicing meditation for I won't tell you how long. But so much of it, and it's been extremely beneficial, all of it, but for so much of the time, there's been subtly in the background the sense of how to do it right. Huh? And if, you do, if there's a way to do it right, that means there has to be a way to do it wrong. And for sure, if there's a way to do it wrong, every time I don't like what's happening, or what's happening doesn't fit whatever idea I have of what right is, in comes that, you're bad, you're wrong, and uh, that heaviness. And then when I think about wanting to be mindful, it comes with heaviness. It comes with aversion. I go, ah, but I can't do it right. Can you actually even let in the trust that we don't need to be in contention with anything in our experience here? Awareness doesn't care what awareness is aware of. Any object of mind or body, and let me know if you can find any object that isn't of mind or body, is a perfectly wonderful way to recognize awareness. Because awareness can be with anything. And when I start to realize, and I have, I have spaces of time, on and off retreat, because when we're talking about just noticing in this relaxed way, you notice it doesn't require a really strong, focused, one-pointed samadhi. That's something we can build up on retreat. But just noticing your aversion, your aversive, for example, you're greedy. I know, a lot of time we don't notice it, but actually did notice it. You don't really have to be in an incredibly subtle state of mind, do you, to notice that? Do you? <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> Not always, anyway. It can get by us, but this we can do in our daily life. Again, now I lost the thread again. This <laughs> is scary. <laughs> I'm not that old. It's scary. <laughs> oh, yes. To actually know that whatever's arising is really fine. Meditation becomes fun. Because you're not fighting anything. You can't do it wrong. And, and actually then, the, um, the willingness or the, 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 the mindfulness, the awareness begins to develop a momentum. And yeah, you have to put in some time. That's not going to happen in a day. Sure, our habits are strong. But it becomes to be, oh, whatever's happening, just, oh, it can be aware of that. Awareness can be with that. Awareness can be with that. And then as the awareness begins to get a momentum, as the continuity begins to become stronger, then that's what allows for the, the, the recognition of things as they are coming to be in this moment to, to, be, to arise more accurately. 
And out of that, we start to see cause and effect. For example, my silly example of the sunset. If you're, there's some awareness through the whole thing, you're watching the sunset, you're appreciating the beauty, you notice your mind going, oh, from really liking that into some fantasy of some really happy fantasy you got from this sunset to a sunset somewhere in the Caribbean with somebody you haven't met yet, but that you really are going to be spending the rest of your life with. And it's so hot. How fast can that happen? Does any of you notice anything like that ever happening today? Maybe not that particular one. Or it could be negative. It could go either way. And then you're aware of that. And then you notice the happiness of that. Then you notice, oh my God, I'm all there and I should be mindful. And you notice the aversion. And you notice from the aversion how it makes the body feel heavy. And then you notice in the heaviness of the, this is because there's some continuity of mindfulness, that when the body's heavy, you don't want to be there anymore. And suddenly, from being really with the sunset, your mind is going, you know what? I'm going home. It's enough of this. I'm out of here. Five minutes before, it was, you know, the, the peak of your life. The steadiness of awareness. We start to see the cause and effect and how it works together. We go, wow, look how the mind works. It's so interesting. It's fascinating. And then you see, this is how suffering is created. This is how freedom from suffering arises, right here, in this moment. Suffering comes to be when we're fighting with, in contention with experience, denying experience, wanting it to be different, all caught up in me, me, me. The awareness is going to go, oh, look at that. I want it to go away. It's just, it's just like this. And you turn around and walk in the hall without any more story. Just that simple. And they say the ox herding pictures, you know, the final, these 10 ox herding pictures and Zen the, 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 the depict pictorially, you know, the path of uh, practice and awakening. And the last one is after he's awakened, he picks up his bundle and goes back into the marketplace. So in any moment, we just, okay, right, all that just poofs away. You turn around and walk in here and sit down. So simple. So simple. It's that simple. Because it's that simple, our thinking mind says, you know, I'm afraid that's not really going to do it for me. I need something a little more. Think, oh, yeah, thinking wants something. Thinking, wanting, it's just like that. So... All I'm encouraging you to do is trust that simplicity. Just notice. Notice when it's present. Start to notice. You can palpably feel when that simple awareness has that quality of purity. You're not, not colored by greed, by wanting. When not, not a sense of struggle, but a sense of presence. We don't have to create the wisdom, the clear seeing things as they have come to be. Not trying to figure it out. We don't have a clue. But the truth just presents itself over and over and over. Quite a few people have mentioned today just in different ways, seeing aspects of how their mind is relating to certain problems in life, here or at home, and and seeing a way that, oh, look at how my mind kind of amps it up, kind of makes it more complicated. That just comes by steady awareness. It's a wonderful, it's an amazing thing. Well, (laughs) that was the first page. (laughs) But that's okay. We're just giving. Okay. I just want to say, I'm switching gears a little bit. It's the same thing. I'm appreciating it, though. I remember in the uh, three-month retreat this year when Joseph Goldstein, one of our friends and colleagues, was giving a talk. And I think it was at the beginning of the retreat. So people do just what we're doing here, but they were here for six weeks or three months. And he was just, you know, kind of, I think it was the welcoming talk. But anyway, he was just saying how appreciating the opportunity to do this for six weeks, for nine days. And he's saying how really fortunate we are, how privileged we are to be able to um, have the time, have the interest, have enough space in our life, have the good fortune to be able to do this. And that, that's true. Whatever our life situation, both us and you, 
I mean, I know for sure it takes a huge commitment and sacrifice for many people to be able to take, you know, nine days like this out of what everyone's life is so complex and so busy and so many different strands with so many different people. It's hard. And some people were saying today, really difficult at times to, you know, step out of that. And sometimes we have the support of friends and families. Often we don't. You know, they, they think we're abandoning them. It makes it hard, for sure. So many people don't have a sense of it. It's okay to really do this for me. It's just being selfish. That's our cultural not understanding. So I want to say, yes, we are incredibly privileged. There's many people, no matter how difficult it was, many people in the world who don't have the physical um, possibility. I was just uh, in, in Burma for some weeks, and so was Steve. We were doing different things. But in terms of our, our, our privilege, no matter how hard our life is, and our lives are hard. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying this is a guilt thing at all, but is that more as a sense of gratitude to appreciate the possibilities of what we can do here. So anyway, I was in, in Burma, and one of the things we were doing, someone had given a few of us friends um, a couple of thousand dollars, and he asked us specifically to go through the village that was around the monastery where we were staying and find some of the worst, most tumble-down shacks, houses people were living in. And believe me, it's really hard to pick out the worst because they are pretty bad. I mean, we're talking about little bamboo shacks with the roof is thatch and holes all in it. And, and so it's a house, but it only has two walls. And four ladies are living in this community in a house with two walls and completely open to everything. And only one little latrine for 17 houses way over there. And the floor is these bamboo poles with huge holes in between them. And that's not even the worst, right? So anyway, in terms of doing this, which was in some way was lovely to be able to do that, and seeing not, not, not just the poverty, but the quality of people's lives and seeing how different people in similar situations are so different. There are some people who the husband had died, he was an alcoholic, the 16-year-old daughter had to leave school and in the last year, which is a really, really hard thing to get to the last year, to have enough money to do it and to have to leave, to work in a factory, to support the other kids. And the mother's cooking little fried things outside the house. And this family was so filled with light. They were so beautiful. They were so loving in this situation, you know. And then there are other families that just completely, you know, beaten down just completely dulled out, beaten down, an old granny, um, I don't know how old, taking care of her four grandkids because the mother, who knows where the father was ever, no father in evidence, was out doing really, really hard physical labor all the time. And the granny was just like barely, you know, relational. She'd smoke, a lot of Burmese old women smoke these old uh, cheroots, stogie cigars, really thick things. And she'd just sit there smoking it and hand it to the three-year-old to put out, you know, and, and then the six-year-old would light it for her and like this. And, and we were telling them about a free school because a lot of these kids, they don't go to school. They can't even afford the school fees. And some nuns had started a free school up the road. So we were telling, well, the mother came when we were fixing the house. One of the monks in where we were staying got so into being able to organize this. He was so happy to be able to to give something back in that way. It was beautiful, you know? Anyway, so we're telling them about the school and they just look at us with dead eyes. It's like just too much to even figure out, to tell the kids to just walk up to this school 15 minutes up the road. You know, similar situations, but just to see there's people who no way they would have the chance to practice or look at their mind, or who have the chance, I mean, in Burma, there's meditation centers down, you know, two feet down the road, everywhere you are, but no interest, no energy, no possibility. So that we're here, that we have the interest, I just want to say it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Appreciate that in yourself. Please let yourself feel grateful for the opportunity and for your interest. 
And then the place I want to go with this is to say, um, as I said, some people externally don't understand what we're doing, think it's just some kind of like, you know, the, the classic thing, oh, he's just off meditating, staring at his navel for seven days. You know, have you heard people say that? I used to hear that a lot like 30 years ago, just kind of completely self-absorbed, selfish, right? Or some kind of esoteric mind game. The world is in such a state. There's so much suffering. There's so much cruelty. There's so much greed, you know. And we're sitting here looking at the little subtleties of the movements of our mind. And when my mind's in aversion, I can look and say, what, what, you know? There's, why don't you go out and do something useful? Just sitting here and looking at how there's a little bit of aversion when somebody steps in front of you in line, you know, and, oh, I'm so upset about it, you know. It's like, come on, get over yourself. That's aversion. Get over yourself, that's aversion. I just want to say, for me, it's not a little esoteric mind game. These habits, when we don't see them, the greed, the aversion, the confusion, the self-judgment that show up here, when we don't see them here, when we don't have the awareness, when we don't trust awareness, when we fall into these habits, when we have wrong view, not understanding things as they are, that's going to impact how we understand the world, the choices we make, and how we act, right? As I think Steve said, someone said last night, look at the world. What's running the decisions? Pick a government, any government, pretty much any government. Are you inspired? <laughs> So look at how it goes about its business. Okay, we're in the US, definitely not inspiring to me how they go about their business. I don't get a lot of wisdom and compassion coming out of it. There's some beaten down, beaten down, but pick anywhere. But to me, and of course I've spent my life doing this so I'm biased, but to me it's so important because how we understand, when we understand things as they are, when we're in a situation in our life, we can see it more clearly. And then with the wisdom, the natural effect of wisdom, really the natural result is that when um, we were reading that thing last night, do um, I forget how the translation went. You know what I'm saying? I know that usual one. Do good deeds, avoid causing harm, and purify the mind. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. The effect, actually, of purifying the mind, and that's what we're doing. Any moment of pure awareness is a moment of purifying the mind, purifying the consciousness. In that moment, just in that moment, when there's not these confusion, this self-involvement, this greed, doing harm, the thought of doing harm doesn't arise. Just like greed makes no sense, selfishness makes no sense, causing harm makes no sense, it doesn't arise. The natural actions of a mind and a heart, just in the moment that it's pure, will be more of compassion, connectedness, caring, or just equanimity, non-reactivity, just doing what needs to be done in the moment. We don't have to think it out. The next moment we might be confused again. And so, seeing how this is true for all of us, for all of us. And the small little habits here, they can really manifest in a big way. This summer, I was in uh, Munich for a month or so. I mean, I often go to Germany. But this summer, uh, I had more time there than usual. And so I was able on, on one Sunday to go to visit Dachau, which I had never had time to do before. You know, that's one of the was one of the concentration camps in, um, in World War II. Just outside of Munich, you can get there quite easily on the rail line. And they made it into a museum. I'd never visited another one. And I, I went by myself, which was really great. And in a, in a weird way, it was a very uh, powerful uh, experience, of course, but it was uh, it's hard for me to find the words when I try to describe it because it was very grounding. It like really reconfirmed in a very powerful way the importance of 
of this practice, the importance of purifying the mind. So the, it's set up, I think, in a very... Um, I just thought it was set up very well. It's the grounds are beautiful, and there's mostly the buildings are gone, but there's a couple of buildings that were left that were like uh, samples of some of the dorms. And then it's set up like a museum. So in the, you go in the building and they have big kind of, um, what would you call it, big kind of placards, posters, with writing and photographs of all different aspects. You know, it's the people who came here, different things that happened, the people that worked there, just all kinds of stuff you wouldn't have known about. Like, for example, in one room, there would be a big poster, for one for each of the different uh, nationalities or ethnic groups of people that were in, the cam- in this particular camp, Dachau. Many, many different, like the Roma, people from Czechoslovakia, people from Hungary, the Jews, uh, gay people, all different, kind of. And what, what was, I thought, brilliant was that it wouldn't just be writing. They would have photos, but this is my memory. Okay, memory is faulty, of course. But what I remember, anyway, what struck me is they would describe a particular scenario and then they would have like a picture of a person and a name. There was a a way that they made it real, that they would allow the mind to connect. And whether that was guards, whether it was, you know, people who were working there in different ways or people that were helping the trains run, all different. So there was a sense of real human beings, and vastness, it was vast. I mean, there were so many, there had been so many buildings, and people told me, my friends, said, oh, no, this is one of the little ones. So what struck me was this sense of that, that made it human. You see different people, and when you see a person, you can't just go, I couldn't just go off into, oh, this was some monsters who did this. First of all, this isn't just, this kind of cruelty, targeting one group against another, well, we all know that's not, that didn't just happen in Germany in World War II. You know, I could really see how, I mean, what's going on in the Congo? What's going on in Guantanamo? What's going on in Sudan? What happened in Cambodia? Look at the Burmese government, you know, against its own people. And looking at the way they made it human for me, and I was watching all, I mean, it was really crowded, which surprised me too, all the different people, just all kind of normal people going through. And I would watch how this way of making it real, it was like intense, but, but real, not overwhelming, but not overwhelming. There was some way it was really accessible. And I could see how people would start to look, and then they would get really moved but not turned off, really there. It was really drawing people in. It was very touching, I saw. I thought it was very touching. But what it did for me is, really, this is the human condition. Who knows? I don't know what I would do if I were in a situation where, you know, you don't know what the, the power of denial in our mind when we have to make choices. We don't know what's going to happen to our family. We maybe make a choice out of trying to protect our family or or just denying what's going on out of fear, out of greed, out of hatred, out of confusion, or we make small choices. Who knows? No one knows the big picture. No one knows what's going to happen next. We do the best we can, but when we don't know how our minds work, when we don't know the power of greed, of fear, of confusion, to completely cloud our perception to allow us to just shut off when we don't know that about ourselves. How one step can lead to the another. Can really see the vastness of the people involved in World War II or in the Congo or wherever. You know, these are just normal people like me. I don't know what I would do. I really don't. I know what I hope. But I also know from looking at my own mind at how how it acts when it's in the thrall of greed how aversion and fears can so completely color my vision. And let me just deny what I really see and act so I don't have to feel that fear anymore. I've seen that plenty of times in stupid little situations. It's great. Look at it in the stupid little situations here. But I know if I just think, oh, I know 
I make a vow, I'm not going to do anything harmful if I was in a difficult situation. I know that's a, who knows? That's useless. But what we're doing here, the courage it takes to keep on coming into awareness and whatever's happening for you, pleasant, unpleasant, scary, boring, beautiful, confusing, are we willing to just surrender into awareness of this moment? just this moment, to cultivate a trust and a faith in that awareness, just for this moment, not for a result, but just to begin to see that this is really the place of awakening, the place of suffering, things that they have come to be in this moment. So learning that uh, the more we learn to recognize awareness, the more we learn to trust it, and the more effortless and trustworthy it becomes. So I'll just end with this one little quotation from Ajahn Sumedho. He's talking about freedom uh, as the metaphor of the island that you cannot go beyond because it points to the principle of awareness that you can't get beyond. It's just awareness. It's very simple very direct, and you can't conceive it. You can't think about it. You can't conceive it. You have to trust it. You have to trust the simple ability that we all have to be fully present and fully awake. So, thank you for your kind attention. We like to just sit quietly for a minute after let the words settle. minutes now. (laughs) Thanks. You can walk, sit, stand, however way you want to take refuge in awareness. And at nine, we'll we'll have a sitting together and a little bit of uh, chanting of sharing the blessings at the end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.